Oh, it's going to make so many people so mad. There's a couple of different things. The first thing is a lot of people have co-opted the term trail angel. They'll like pull up and be like, hey, how can I help you? Like, I'm a trail angel. Like, would you like me to take you into town for $20? And I'm like, okay, well, hold on. Like, first of all, sounds like you're just the shuttle. Hello, everyone. This is Shanty, and welcome back to the Out and Back podcast presented by Gaia GPS. This is episode 41, and we're glad you've joined us. Today, Abby and I are going to be sitting down and chatting with a really cool dude who goes by the name of Mac. If you want his real name, you have to keep listening. Mac is known for his website, halfwayanywhere.com, which I personally think is one of the best backpacking and adventure blogs out there. Over the years, Mac has had adventures that he talks about in his blog. He's had them in Brazil, Nepal, Japan, and of course, right here in the Western United States. The other real big thing that Halfway Anywhere is known for is its extensive CDT and PCT hiker surveys that Mac puts together each year, getting tons of interesting background data about the hikers who sit out on these famous scenic trails, and then seeing how the trends might change from year to year. It's actually pretty funny because I first stumbled across Halfway Anywhere about a year ago when Mac posted an article about the Appalachian Trail that was, uh, kind of negative, and it, uh, kind of ticked me off. And I remember thinking, huh, I would love to kick this guy's butt. And now, suddenly as fate would have it, Abby and I are having a chat with him. Now, I'm confident there won't be any butt kicking, but I'm sure there will be a nice debate about the AT today. So we're going to be talking about a lot with Mac today, and we're going to get into all of it in just one second. But first, if you plan on channeling your inner Mac and heading out on a backpacking trip of your own, you're going to need a way to navigate in the backcountry. And for that, you're going to want to get a premium membership with Gaia GPS. With Nat Geo Trails Illustrated Maps, including the Nat Geo Maps for the AT and PCT, USGS, US Forest Service, and hundreds of other maps you can download, Gaia GPS helps you stay on trail and on track in the wilderness. And right now, our dear podcast listeners, you can get special access to 20% off on a Gaia GPS premium membership. Just go to GaiaGPS.com slash podcast. That's G-A-I-A-G-P-S dot com slash podcast. All right, everyone. Abby and I are happy to present Mac from Halfway Anywhere. Here we go. First of all, thank you so much for coming on the podcast. We've talked a lot about you. I've been wanting to talk to you for a long time. I'm definitely going to want to talk with you at some point about the Appalachian Trail because that's been <laughs> the big one on my checklist. I through hiked it back in 2019. And I was actually just telling Abby about this. I first came across your work about a year ago when I read an article of yours called Why I'm Never Hiking the Appalachian <laughs> Trail. And it was posted in the Appalachian Trail subreddit, and a lot of people got really angry. <laughs> yeah, people people don't like people with different opinions than, than they have. <laughs> it's true. I mean, and I'm biased because I grew up in Pennsylvania. So most of my childhood, I grew up hiking on the rocks. And so I'm like, the rocks aren't that bad, but I can understand why it's hell for everybody else. But let's back up a little. How did you arrive at Halfway Anywhere? So I'm Mac, also known as Tyler Fox. Halfway Anywhere, when I was studying abroad, I just started a little blog to write about things that I thought were funny in this new country that I was living in. And I kind of just enjoyed, you know, the writing and stuff. And so once I got back home and I wasn't studying anymore, I met this guy after working a summer in New York on this place called Fire Island that 
Mm. It's just like a vacation island for people from Long Island, kind of. And so I worked there for a summer and made a bunch of money. And then actually afterwards, I went to Londonderry, New Hampshire. And that's when I met this guy who was going to hike the Appalachian Trail, which I had never heard of. And I was like, you're going to walk from Georgia to Maine? Like, that's maybe actually the coolest thing I've ever heard before. And then so I decided I'm going to hike the Appalachian Trail. (laughs) I was all stoked on, I mean, granted, this is like, I have never really done any backpacking or anything at this point. I just had this money saved up from the summer and was like, how can I use this money in the most efficient way possible to not have to start working again, like anytime. Mm -hmm. So I was like, oh, backpacking for however many months like that. That sounds awesome. (laughs) So yeah, then I, then I discovered the PCT during my research for the Appalachian Trail. And I was like, there's another one of these trails and it goes from Mexico to Canada and it's in California where I'm from. And I was like, all right, that sounds way better than the one on the East Coast. So so then I hiked the PCT and just started writing about the PCT. And back in 2013, when I first did it, there wasn't like, you know, a ton of information online like there is now. Like there weren't like all these YouTube channels and websites and um, it was like just a lot harder to actually find I remember the PCT listserv was like something that people like recommended using. And I was like, a listserv, like, <laughs> which is like a kind of email chain for anybody who doesn't know what a listserv is. Cause I don't know anyone who uses listservs for anything anymore, <laughs> but yeah, then I just started writing about the PCT and I was like, I guess I like hiking now. Was the, uh, PCT your first hiking trip or did you like do any type of backpacking before that? That was my first overnight backpacking trip. I'd done like, you know, just casual day hikes as as one does throughout their life. But uh, as far as like putting stuff in a backpack and camping, like that was my first time. What was that like? Like, Did you ever want to quit while you were out there? Oh, yeah. Like for all of Oregon, (laughs) basically, I wanted to quit. I was having a terrible time. Anybody who was with me in Oregon, which is only a handful of people will tell you like, yeah, Mac was just saying, as soon as I get to Cascade Locks, one of my friends is going to come and pick me up and I'm going to go back with him to Portland and I'm done with the trail. And that was really my plan for a long time. But then I got to Cascade Locks and that friend, you know, picked me up. We hung out and I was like, oh, I'm so close. I know I'm going to be so mad at myself, like in the future. So I was really looking out for future me. But at the time, I still wasn't having like the best time. <laughs> what was driving you there? I don't know. Well, it's, it's like because I wasn't really like an outdoorsy person and like this had already been like the greatest physical hiking accomplishment of my life kind of thing like hiking all of California or so it's just like why am I gonna keep doing this like this isn't you know it was like in high school I played football for two years and then my junior year I was like why am I gonna keep doing this like I'm not gonna do this later on like I should do something that like I actually want to be doing right now and so that's kind of how I felt. I was like, I'm not like a hiker person. Like, I'm not going to, you know, who cares if I don't finish this? Like, I already did. Like, I have nothing else to prove to anybody. Like, I walked across California. Like, that's more than I thought I would ever do ever in my life. So, yeah, I was just kind of there. And I was like, like, you know, I wasn't enjoying it anymore. So I was like, why, what am I, why am I going to keep doing something I don't enjoy? But also I had no money. So I was like. Well, I mean, I had money for the trail, but I didn't have money to like go get an apartment somewhere. So I was like, well, as soon as I quit the trail, I'm going to have to, you know, figure out what's next. <laughs> so I guess I guess continuing was also like the lesser of two evils there. I was like, oh, I guess I'll stay on the PCT. <laughs> that surprises me because 
I mean, I haven't done any real portions of the PCT, but I've heard like Oregon is actually one of the more delightful sections for people because it's the flattest part. You're going past the Cascades uh, and you can start banging out like 40 mile days because it's flat. It's well groomed. There's a nice grade like that surprises me. Yeah, I, I don't know. People have gotten lots of hate for this like from just like random people in the past and it's like no oregon's great okay let me just say oregon's great i like oregon there's lots of cool stuff there but like oregon is also like on the pct after you've been through like you know the desert and the sierra in northern california oregon's also kind of boring there's just lots of like lakeside resorts and like trees and you know like you said like kind of you're out of like the big dramatic landscapes and then you hear like oh in washington it gets good again you know like there's mountains again and you're really like back in it like you know Oregon Oregon's nice but it's in the context of the PCT I think a lot of people find it's it's boring and also like it can be really hot especially southern Oregon before you get up into like sisters and stuff it can be hot and just like lots of bugs and it's really not that interesting down there except for like Crater Lake mm-hmm. um like central and northern Oregon is definitely the more interesting part of Oregon I think on the PCT so when you came back to the trail then after uh you were dealing with all that in Oregon. Like, did you have a better experience through Washington? Not really. I kind of just put my head down and crushed <laughs> miles in Washington. Like I remember I did like, I was doing 30 plus mile days, like every day, as soon as I got into Washington, like I skipped the first town in Washington and people like one of my friends was like, yeah, everybody was saying like that you were like skipping ahead on the trail because they hadn't, you know, I was just like, all I was doing was hiking, you know? And so it was like, I just was like hiking to get it done. Not really hiking to like be out there on the PCT. And then I got to goat rocks where I still need to go back to, which is like, you know, one of the most scenic places on the PCT in Washington. Everybody loves it. And it was just like a complete whiteout, like sleet storm my entire time hiking through there. Like didn't see anything like, (laughs) just like, Oh man, like this is supposed to be the nicest part of this whole section. And, I'm just walking through a cloud for a whole day. It was terrible. (laughs) (laughs) So what happened? You finished the trail. You didn't seem to have loved the experience. Yeah. And you didn't think of yourself as an outdoorsy person. And yet here you are, and this is your your life. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Um, So basically, after the trail, I got a job teaching English in Japan. And I moved out there. And... I, I lived in like a very rural rural area. Like it's not a place that like anyone's ever heard of. Um, but it was like fairly close to the Japanese Alps. And so at one point I just on the weekends I started going out and like hiking, you know, different mountains in Japan. And then I went to Nepal for winter breaks in Japan. I was there for two years. So each winter break I went to Nepal to go do a hike out there and and then two of my friends hiked the continental divide trail two of my friends from the pct and you know when you're on the if when you hike the pct i don't know if like the image has kind of changed now but back then it was like oh the the cdt is like this big scary trail that is like a next level from the pct i tell people all the time like it definitely shouldn't be that intimidating anymore like that's not really what it's like but that's definitely like what i was thinking and my two friends hiked it and i was like oh man my two friends are so much cooler than me now. Like they did, they did the big scary trail. And now I think I have to do the big scary trail. (laughs) And it was like another one of those things where it was like, I had a little bit of money saved up and like, 
what can I do? And I was like, okay, it worked out before that long distance hiking thing. Let me, let me try it again. So I don't know. I think after the CDT, that's like really when it was like, oh, okay. Like this is, this is definitely a part of my life and what I do now. After PCT 13, like it could have gone a lot of different ways. Like, but after the CDT, I think my path was much more uh, well-defined. So I'm curious about like what your experience on the CDT was like compared to your experience on the PCT. It sounds like the CDT was so much better for you. It was better. And I think one of the main reasons it was better is because I knew uh, exactly what to expect. You know, I like I knew what I had signed up for when I started hiking and I knew there was going to be like terrible days. and I knew it was going to be hard. I, I knew what to expect, whereas the PCT was kind of like, oh, I'm just going to like do this thing that I kind of picked out of the sky and <laughs> I have no idea what it's going to be like. And on the CDT, I don't know if, I guess it probably helped, but those two friends who hiked it in 17, one of them had actually got off at some point in 17. So the two of them started the trail with me and one of them stayed with me the whole time until the end. One of them got off for a little bit and then came back towards the end. We weren't hiking together and camping together like every day, but pretty much like 80, 90% of the time we're we're hiking together in the sense that we start and end the day at the same place. Maybe that helped having those two people that are loosely, definitely part of the group kind of thing. But I think just knowing. So then you mentioned that with the CDT, you're like, okay, well, this is part of who I am now. This is part of what I do. So where did you essentially go from there after the CDT and basically making this something that was more and more part of your life until really it was what you do? What I was signing up for really is is what helped me get through the CDT. Right on. But the website halfway anywhere had always been something that I had continually been maintaining it. You know, writing stuff in Japan each weekend when I climbed the mountain, I would write, try kind of like an English because it was really hard to find English language information about uh, hiking in Japan. So I I would still be updating it. At work in Japan, I wasn't given much responsibility. I say I was an English teacher because that's the easiest way of describing what I did. But like in the true sense of it, I was not. I was more just like an English speaking person who existed at the school. So I had lots of time to, to work on my own things. Then after the CDT, I think I went to Australia on the working holiday visa that they have there, where it's like if you're under 31 or 32, you can go to Australia for a whole year and you basically just have permission to work. So I went and worked in Australia. And then I went to New Zealand, because New Zealand has the same exact program. And so I was like, cool, my time in Australia is up, I'll go to New Zealand, and I'll just travel around New Zealand and hike until I run out of money. And then I'll start working. And, you know, I was I was making a small amount of money from the website. And it had been like kind of slowly increasing over the years. And then when I was in New Zealand, which is, you know, not an inexpensive country, like stuff is fairly expensive there. At a certain point, I was like, huh, I think if I went somewhere that wasn't New Zealand, I would actually be able to be living off of my income from halfway anywhere right now. So then I went to Nepal for four months, which is far less expensive than New Zealand and kept hiking, kept working on the blog. And then I was like, I think this is something that I can kind of make happen. And then I went back to Japan and did another through hike of the Japanese Alps in 2019. And then it was 2019 in Greece on a trip with REI that I met my partner right now. Also 2019, I hiked the first like thousand miles of the PCT again. I really need to make like a document. I always forget when I was <laughs> everywhere, but 
yeah, I don't know. It just kind of snowballed after the the CDT things kind of started picking up. So what did monetizing <laughs> Halfway Anywhere look like? It started out just kind of as like Google AdSense ads, you know, whatever. And I'd, I'd be like, oh, like, I think, I don't know, I have a chart somewhere. I think the, the first year I had any revenue from the site, it was like $65 or something. And I was like, wow, like, that's cool. I made $65 on the internet. Then I discovered what affiliate marketing was which is basically like i have a link to somebody else's website you know like a rei or a backcountry or whatever and if you click from my website to that website and you buy something i get a commission and it started out with amazon because i'd been posting gear lists and gear reviews and Mm -hmm. just whatever then i was like wait there's a way i could have been monetizing this the whole time like just with what i've already been doing so then that kind of started picking up and it, it really also was just like a educating myself on what's out there. Cause it's like, if I had never discovered these things, I would still have the same website, but I just wouldn't be having any income from it. So mm. yeah. And then slowly it's, it just kind of has slowly built over the years. And then at some point you decided to start doing these annual surveys of both the CDT and the PCT. How did that come about? That was from the beginning. So the first PCT survey I did was in 2013 after I hiked the PCT. And like I said, that was, it was because this long hike. And I was like, it'd be really interesting to see. There's like no good information or I mean, some good, but there's not that much information about kind of generally when people started, ended, what their pack weights were, because you have all this anecdotal evidence from different people you talk to and you as like a first time through hiker who like knows nothing with like my 65 liter pack filled to the brim. Like I see this guy and he's got this backpack that like doesn't even come above his head and he doesn't even have a hip belt. And I'm just like, wow, but should I listen to this guy? It was always like one of those things where it's like you read something online and it's like, yeah, well, this could be some fit young person writing this or like some retired older person writing this and it's like they're obviously going to have two very different experiences so I just thought like asking people these kind of more objective questions would be a good way of kind of just getting a bigger picture of what's going on on the trail so I did that in 2013 I was like oh that was cool so I just kind of kept doing that each year and then I didn't do the CDT one until I hiked the CDT because I'd feel wrong doing it about a trail I hadn't hiked so I hiked the CDT you come up with certain questions while you're out there. You just have a better frame of reference. Yeah, it's 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 kind of both. Also, just like I don't know, I feel like from like an integrity standpoint, like I don't, like I wouldn't, I I'd be weirded out with this person coming to me like, hey, fill out this survey about this thing you did that I've never done, but like I presume to like know all of the questions to ask on the CDT. Alternates are a lot bigger of a like a not a concern but like a consideration for people than on the pct there's all these different alternate routes that people take or they don't take and they're not the official cdt and that was kind of one of the things at the beginning of the cdt where i was like wait how do i know what alternates i want to take like like do i want to spend 100 miles hiking this one or stay on the actual trail or what and like on the pct alternates are kind of just like oh it'll be like a two mile detour to go see this and it's it's never like, oh, I'm spending hundreds of miles off the official PCT. And so just kind of stuff like that where you might not really realize it unless you've actually been out there hiking. I have one question about that first PCT survey. How did you send that out to people? It was mostly just 
like word of mouth between people I knew and then like uh, Facebook and Reddit and just like whatever social media like groups or sites that I could find. Um, I mean, honestly, like getting the survey out to people is still like one of the biggest challenges because there is no like, uh, you know, people can just be on the PCT, not be on the PCT. So, yeah, I mean, it's definitely I've increased the numbers every year as far as the number of people filling it out. But yeah, 2013 was definitely a, a small sample size. But yeah. uh, what's small? What what does that number look like? <sighs> oh, you know what? I actually. <laughs> Unless I don't, I don't remember if I posted it in the actual thing, but I switched the platform that I use for the surveys after 2013. So I actually lost all the 2013 raw data. Um, but I'd probably guess it was like around a hundred people or so. Do you know roughly how many people in 2013 did the whole thing or attempted it? I don't know off the top of my head. The PCTA has statistics as far as uh, permits and like finishers go. I know it was a much smaller number than 2014 and 2015 because kind of 2014 is when like the really big boom started kicking off as far as the PCT's popularity. I think it was 2015 when they might've started in 2014, but uh, when they started like, you know, permitting the Southern terminus and limiting the number of people who could start each day from the South and from the North, like in 2013, it was just like, Oh, get your permit and go hike the PCT whenever you want. And that was actually one of the things I wanted to see from the survey was because I was like, when am I supposed to start this thing? That was one of the really good questions that I wanted to like see people's answers for. Um, whereas now it's like, Oh, 50 people start every day in March, April, and May, because that's the maximum number of people. That question has kind of started as like one of the things I was really interested in. And now has become like pretty much useless as far as like the average date when people start, because it's just <laughs> every single day for three months, like there's the maximum number of people starting. Over time, uh, like when you first started the survey 2013 up until now, how much has been added to it each year? Is it every year you're adding new questions, new key points? Yeah, yeah, no, a, a lot has been added. Like, if you look at the survey from 2013 compared to 2019 or 20, I mean, I did a survey in 2020, but it was kind of like a weird one because of COVID. Like, so 2019, mm -hmm. I always reference as like being like the last like really good one. I've added a lot of questions. I've expanded it into having a completely different uh, article for uh, people's gear, for people's resupply. I asked people for anecdotes from the trail as far as times that they felt unsafe or mm. times that they like something unexpected that happened to them or kind of you know there's all these things and every year one of the questions I have on the survey for people is what can I do in the future to improve the survey so every year I'm adding and tweaking and another thing is like just updating it for me personally as far as like the questions that I ask and trying to make it so the data is is more manageable because I've learned over the years that certain question types or organizing the data in certain ways make things much easier or difficult for me uh, when I'm trying to actually go through all of the, the data. So I've become a very proficient Google Sheets user over the years. <laughs> I, I have a document every year and anybody who leaves a comment or sends me an email or answers that question, I, I put it in the document for improvements for the survey for next year. And every year I get so many people who are like, make it shorter, it's too long. And every year I get people who are like, make it longer, it's too short. One of the things I've learned posting things on the internet is that you can't make everybody happy. So. Oh yeah. Please yeah. yeah. all the people all the time. Nope. <laughs> Good old Honest Abe said that.
So in your personal experience versus when you did the PCT in 2013 versus when you came back in 2019 and did a thousand miles, what do you think has changed about it? Like, I, I, I guess the first thing would be probably, well, Cheryl Strait's Wild came out in 2014. So that would boost the popularity of the trail. But like, what did you see changing about it, if anything, between your first hike and your second section hike? It, it was very, very different. First, just the number of people. In 2013, I think I started on the same date each year, which was May 17th, which is like towards the later end as far as the grand scheme of PCT hikes. But uh, in 2013, I, I honestly think I met like fewer than 10 people for the entirety of the desert, like up to Kennedy Meadows, the first 700 miles. Whereas before it was kind of like, what are you doing? What is this trail? Like now you, you know, get to a town or something and there'd be like a big banner, like welcome PCT hikers, like come over here, hang out, you know, people competing for PCT hiker business, which, you know, is, is now I'm assuming very good business with how many people are going through. But um, I think just like the, you know, the recognition of the trail and people being much more aware of what's going on and the, the trail angel thing, many thoughts on trail angels and stuff, but these people who seem like kind of semi-permanent like trail angels on the side of the road, like almost like aid stations. Like I was just like, huh, that's weird. Like this wasn't here before. Like these, these people who are just out here every single day waiting for the PCT hikers. I want to hear more about this. Your thoughts on trail angels. Oh, it's going to make so many people so mad. There's a couple of different things. The first thing is a lot of people have co-opted the term trail angel. They'll like pull up and be like, hey, how can I help you? Like, I'm a trail angel. Like, would you like me to take you into town for $20? And I'm like, okay, well, hold on. Like, first of all, sounds like you're just a shuttle, not a, not a trail angel. It's like, yes, you're like technically helping hikers, but like, that's not what a trail angel is. Also, like, do you get to just call yourself a trail angel? Like, I feel like now there's like people who are out there like trying to help hikers, but they're really just doing it for like some sort make of like what one either to make money that that was one thing or two just like they're doing it for themselves and like more than they're doing it for the hikers, which is like I guess the ultimately it ends up being like the same the hikers get helped, but like I had trail angels in 2019 who would have like you know one of these aid station things or whatever set up on like the side of the road when you cross the road and they would like be offended i'd be like oh hi like oh cool you're doing a trail engine thing okay bye like not wanting to stop because i was just like you know had somewhere to be and they'd be like you don't you don't want any of this what like sit down and like enjoy my bounty that i have brought you and i'm just like <laughs> like like why do you care if i take what you have like you know what i mean it's like if you're trying to help me like just say hi and let let me do what I want to do like I'm I'm out here I'm out here for me like I don't know so I mean, I had a couple like experiences like that and like that was really weird like I was just like I like I don't know like in 2013 it was like the you know a trail angel was like the people who were trail angels had no idea what that term meant you know like they weren't um you know and there were like the there were a couple of people who were like fixtures on the trail who opened their homes to hikers like year after year who no longer do that because presumably of how popular it's gotten. A trail angel is just like some random day hiker who's like at his car loading up and like, oh, hey, what are you doing? Like, oh, you're hiking 
the what? The Pacific Coast Trail? Oh, what's that? Like, oh, here, do you want like our leftover lunch? Oh, awesome. Oh, that was like an awesome Trail Angel Trail Magic experience. And now it's become so regimented. Like, oh, this is where the trail magic is. Come and get it this Saturday at 10 a.m. It's like... (laughs) Okay. I think you hit it right on the head there when you made the point about trail magic. It has to be trail magic for the person to count as a trail angel. Like the person, like that moment you're tired and you reach a roadside or you just randomly cross, come across someone in the woods. They're like, oh, you're hiking trail. Oh my God, I want to do that someday. I have an extra soda in my pack. Here you go. And it's just what you need at that moment. Like that's trail magic. And at that point, the person who did that is a trail angel. And when you made that point earlier about people call themselves trail angels yeah i don't think that's personally right i think trail angel is a title that's bestowed on the person by the hiker yeah 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 there's some interesting morality too going on here with altruism and and the self-awareness factor and obviously it's a spectrum and there's no really definitive line of where you go from doing something altruistically really to help the other person or to help yourself Because I think in reality, it's probably a combination of both, right? Where it feels good to help someone else. Mm -hmm. But what's a little sticky to me here is because people are so self-aware of the term and wanting to be able to own that term for themselves, it becomes more and more performative, it sounds like. Especially, I would imagine, in the social media era where you can then promote yourself as doing this altruistic thing versus in 2013 where social media wasn't really as much of a part of our lives and you were just helping someone out maybe more just because it was the right thing to do yeah and it really like very eloquently put yeah yeah it's the commercialization of this whole phenomenon as well yeah i mean it's kind of just like the natural progress like who just becomes a victim of its own success kind of thing and there's so many hikers now who feel like they're like entitled to trail magic and trail angels and like favors from strangers and then mm-hmm. there's at the same time there's like kind of the, there's so many like trail angels who feel like they're like i am necessary like for the pct to exist and for people to and i, I always i try to like remind like like hikers don't you can do a through hike and have no trail magic and trail angels. Those are like bonuses. Like they're in no way necessary for you to complete a long distance hike. Like no matter what you're doing, like, yeah, they're nice, but like hikers don't need trail angels. They don't need trail magic and they aren't entitled to trail magic or trail angels either. Like I, my partner was up bouldering near Tahoe and she said some PCT hikers like came through with their bouldering and they stopped and talked and PCT hiker goes, do you have any trail magic for us? And I was just like, what? What, what did this person say? I was just like, Ugh. I wish I was there. Cause like, I can't, I was like, were they joking? I feel like it was just like the peak. This has kind of gotten out of hand. If you have to asking for trail magic is like literally the <laughs> negates everything about what trail magic is. It's, like, it's so totally. bizarre. That's well, scary. That keep escalating to the point yeah. where now it's a normative part of doing a through hike you just expect to have this all over the place when you did it the first time it was like an amazing surprise that you weren't expecting and that can be scary because you can get people who start going out into the wilderness and they get expected yeah. to get catered to and you can have people literally deprive themselves i there were a couple of people on the at who said i'm relying on water caches from trail angels to get me through this next like 50 60 mile section i'm like 
you can't assume there's going to be any water from those people. You have to prepare accordingly because it's your hike, it's your wilderness, you know? Yeah, the water caches are a big problem on the PCT too, especially in the desert. Like, it's it's wild. Like, especially now because it's, you know, with all the apps now, like Gut Hook and stuff that everybody is like so, so reliant on. Like in 2013, like Gut Hook existed, but no one used it. I think I knew like one person who like had it on their phone. And it's like, so I was carrying like eight liters of water in the desert at some points. And in 20, in 2019, I don't think I cared more than like two liters at any point. Cause it's like, I could just look and see like, well, one, I was like smarter about my hiking, but two, it's like, you could just look and see like where there's water and where there's a water cache. And it's like the water caches are just like, it's, it's wild. There's places you go out into the desert on the PCT and there's like, thousands of gallons of water like out and i'm just like this like this is going to go very wrong one day and like someone's going to like end up dying because they're relying on these water caches something's going to happen like you know because they're not you know officially sanctioned water they're just like random people out there putting out water for hikers and one day something's going to happen and then people are going to be like yep and there's going to be some big drama and i don't know i'm just water caches shouldn't shouldn't be a thing unless you go cash your own water you know you can cash your own water or whatever like legally but these big water caches are are just like a ticking time bomb i feel like uh, yeah it's like the pct uh nat geo maps just says like you know over and over again no reliable water for the next 30 miles and then like you go a little higher up the map and it basically says did you notice that we said no water for the next 30 miles it's yeah like they, no it's yeah you can't rely on caches it's incredible and that's part of the tra- that's part of the trail right like you're out there hiking in the desert like you know you don't want to have to carry lots of water and skip the desert <laughs> like, go hike go hike the sierra you never have to carry water it's awesome <laughs> <laughs> going back to this uh trends thing so you've seen what's been changing about the pct uh, over the years and now with the survey results that have been coming in have you been seeing anything going differently uh with how the trail is hiked like are we seeing changes in the average age of people hiking the trail, men or women, race, domestic or international? Like, are you seeing any general trend change? I did a post kind of looking at all the data I had from 2013 to 2019. Mm. And there's very slight variations, but like, honestly, like it's shocking how constant, like a lot of the stuff, like I can almost predict every year, like if I know basically like, what the snowpack was like in the Sierra and maybe like a handful of other things. I can like almost predict like what the results are going to be every year. Cause they are pretty consistent. This is obvious. I guess I should figure out one time, like the actual sample size you need to get a reliable. I always say to everybody, listen, like I'm just a guy on the internet doing my best to get the survey in front of as many people as possible your personal experience on the trail might not necessarily reflect what the data says. Like, this is not like a scientific study that I'm doing, but I do my best. And so like, it's, I can't say definitively like, oh yes, like this is happening. This is not happening, but it's generally like slightly skewed male. Average age is usually around like 30 years old. Hmm. Um, There's always like a lull in the number of people who are like in their forties. Um, which like in my just like armchair scientist brain, I'm like, oh, that must be like when people like have kids and like they're busy raising their kids and then their kids go to school or whatever. And then they get older and then people in their like late fifties and sixties, there's like another pickup in the 
the data. It's always like fairly well-educated bunch. Generally, 50% of hikers will have their bachelors and then usually a good amount of like postdocs is like the next biggest contingent. There's a lot of engineers. That's one of the things I started asking, I think last year and this year too, like, what's your job? What do you do for a living? There's always a ton of engineers and programmers and teachers and doctors. One thing that actually has like, I feel like has definitely changed since 2013 and now is the number of international hikers. Um, I feel like there's a lot more international hikers now than there were in 2013. There's like the English speaking countries. There's always like South Africa, UK, New Zealand, Australia, but then always a lot of Germans, French and Israelis are the three that stick out in my mind as far as like the people. And that was true on the CDT too. Um, and then, you know, like, as far as people from the States, it's generally people, the ma majority of people from the West Coast, like California always has the most number of people, but also has the most number of people. California, Oregon, Washington. Most people on the PCT every year are generally on their first hike, I've found, or like first long distance hike. And if people have hiked another trail over the years, it's always either the AT or the JMT usually are the two hikes that people have done. There have been more people who have started hiking southbound than hiking northbound. It's just also, about to ask that one, yeah. Yeah. Um, in 2013, if you wanted like specific information about hiking southbound, it was like, good luck. Make sure there's no snow when you start in Washington. And that was about it. Hiking southbound has become a lot more of just like a regular thing people do. And I think that's also a function of the quota that's been put in place at the southern terminus. And I think... Just this year, I added a question asking people why they hiked southbound. Mm. Definitely one of those options is, uh, you know, just like logistical permit reasons. I have people from like other countries and stuff who email me and they're like, my partner and I really want to make sure we get a permit to start on the, on the same day. What do you suggest? Some people just see hiking southbound as a good solution to that. But again, like it's become this thing where only so many, even southbound, there is a, a quota for the number of people who can start each day. I'm not 100% sure if all those dates fill up every year, but unless they change it, I'm pretty sure it's 30 people per day are allowed to start at the Northern or Hearts Pass, the Northern Terminus. But the number of finishers every year definitely corresponds to how big of a snow year it is. Mm -hmm. So like 2017, 2019, you see like big dips in the number of people who completed the whole trail because those were two pretty big snow years. If you tell me like the snowpack in the Sierra, I can tell you a good amount. Cause then you also know like how many people are flip-flopping on the trail, how many people are just like skipping sections of trail. I'm curious if you can give us a sense of the percentage of finishers for a heavy snow year versus a lighter snow year. And if that's changed over the last eight years. And also to add to that, if there's been a change in completion percentage because of wildfires. I always, caveat my finish information with the fact that it's much easier for me to reach people who finish the PCT uh, as far as like getting the survey in front of people. So um, and that's one of the things that I've been working on the last couple of years is trying to like capture people's information before they start the hike, mm -hmm. because the, the people who are most engaged on social media and, and whatever, like if you hike the PCT and you hike the Sierra and you quit somewhere in the Sierra in July, like 
by the time the end of the season rolls around, you might be completely checked out from that whole through hiking world. And, you know, especially if it's not something that you do all the time, it's just like this one thing you did this one time and you know, like that person's information would be like hugely valuable to the survey, but it's, it's always hard to kind of find those people. Um, Selection bias is quite real. Yeah. So I'd say like there, I would say, I mean, at least what I have, it's like 15% more people finish the trail in years or 15% fewer people finish the trail in high snow years than mm-hmm. in regular years or, you know, not high snow years. Um, mm-hmm. What was the other, the snow and oh, the wildfires. Yeah. In relation to the, wildfires. I feel like wildfires less prevent people from finishing the trail and more just cause a bunch of people to skip big sections of trail. No, like really defeats people a lot of time. And like, they decide to, you know, call it after the Sierra um, or like in the Sierra somewhere. But I feel like if you get in the snow and like you're really struggling or whatever, it's like, you feel like, Oh, I can't do this. This is too hard. I'm in over my head kind of thing. And a lot of people don't think like, Oh, I'm just going to skip this section that like I wasn't ready for that's like too challenging or whatever. Um, and so they just get off trail. Whereas with wildfires, people are just like, well, nothing I can do about this. Like might as well just go get back on the trail as soon as I can. So those people, I feel like less end up not finishing and more end up just not hiking whatever section of trail is closed. Also, please, anybody do not hike through fire closures. That's a terrible idea. Like tons of people do it every year. Not Mm -hmm. tons, I shouldn't say, but like I hear anecdotal evidence of people doing it every year and it kind of goes with that like whole through hiker mindset like give me trail magic don't tell me where to hike i'm on the pct i'm special i know how these people feel like i wrote an article about this like i think back in like 2013 2014 like after the pct i called it the the through hiking superiority complex people just feel this sense of like the rules don't apply to me like i'm doing this special thing and yeah fire closures are like really serious don't hike through fire closures i wonder if part of it is like summit fever too where yeah. Except you, yeah where it's like i must complete every mile of the trail you know and that's mm-hmm. all that matters in addition to the superiority complex yeah no i feel like that's definitely part of it for some people they're just like oh there's a fire closure but i'm hiking the pct like i don't think you understand i have to walk all these miles it's like well <laughs> i don't know if you understand but the world doesn't revolve around you and your pct hike. <laughs> <laughs> that's why they need to put another sign beyond the fire closure that says come on knock it off yeah right like <laughs> seriously pct hiker stop like it's it's interesting how people view wildfire closures and snowpack so differently because they're kind of the same challenge right it's a physical challenge that maybe sometimes you literally can't do anything about and you just can't get past that section but for whatever reason, it's acceptable to yellow blaze around the fire, but it's not acceptable to do the same thing for lots of snow. Yeah. And it might also, it, it, you know, just trying to dig a little deeper on that. It could also be the fault of just like the through hiking community at large, you know, because a lot of times people will be like, oh, like you skipped that section. Like, Hmm. And it's like, you're not as as good as me because I hiked through that section. And that's actually another thing that changed a lot on the trail, I feel like, that I didn't mention before. The, like, camaraderie of hikers has kind of, like, fallen away. Like, in 2013, I could walk into any restaurant, any grocery store, like, anywhere in a town, and it's easy to spot who the other hikers are. And I would just go up to them and be like, hey, like, PCT hiker? 
PC hacker whoa like we're friends now let's talk like whatever like just you know sit down with a stranger at breakfast and in 2019 it was very much like people had their like clicks and i'd walk into a restaurant and i'd see a whole bunch of hikers and they'd all be like sitting at different tables eating by themselves and you'd like go and talk to somebody and they just like be on their phone and be like what i said hi to everybody like on the trail i like will stop and chat with everyone this happened twice where I would approach a group of hikers who are all just sitting down, like maybe like getting ready to camp or whatever. And I'd be like, what's up guys? Like, how you doing? I'm like, just silence. No one would say anything to me. <laughs> and I'd, be like, I'd just be Weird. like, what is happening? And I just like, all right, cool. Like, see you guys later. Like, have a good, have a good hike. Like, it was just bizarre. People need to recognize everybody's out there, you know, try and do the same thing, try and do their best. This could be a pure hypothetical thing, but I wonder if it's like, when you do something and there's a certain threshold of the number of people doing it, it stops becoming a community and it literally becomes like a school where you have the jocks and the nerds and the, everybody breaks into their own social groups. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I mean, I'm I'm sure there is. And again, it's like, you know, victim of its own success. Is there a word for that? Victim of your own success? I feel like that's such a mouthful. Like I was going to say the Batman quote, you either die a hero or live long enough to become the villain. <laughs> <laughs> again, <laughs> again pro probably doesn't have a term it's just a phrase but you know it's yeah there's probably a german term for this any german through hiker listening will be able to tell us there's lots of those, yeah so. please tell us <laughs> there's a term for this in any language this really does sound like middle school where you can't sit with me at lunch today this is the cool kids club <laughs> yeah and i wrote an article called and i'll only use this word once because i really don't like it but I wrote an article recently called Why Your Tramley Sucks. And it basically <laughs> tried to address and call out like this issue of people like getting into like their like little groups on the trail and, you know, just being exclusive towards other people. And it's like, you're literally all out here doing this awesome thing together. Like this is, <laughs> yes, you can have friends and yes, you can like, you know, have people you like hiking with or don't like hiking with, but it's like, can we all just get along out there guys? <laughs> What were your most surprising findings? From the surveys? Yeah. <sighs> surprising findings. Maybe one of my most surprising findings was just like how like average I am. Like, <laughs> I feel like I'm a very good representation of just like the average hiker, which intuitively I don't like because I like to feel like I'm special. But it's like, you know, you look at the data and I'm just like, oh yeah, I could just like basically describe myself and be like, I thought I was doing something like cool, but I'm actually just doing something that like all the people who are just like me are also doing. <laughs> One of the things that's interesting is just like, how many people do kind of like the same thing is very surprising to me as far as like resupply stops. And I feel mm -hmm. like it's it's become more consistent over the years. And it's like kind of one of those things like everybody sees the same information. And so everybody does the same thing. It It used to be like, where you resupplied or where you'd stopped in town was, you know, everybody just had like kind of like paper maps and Google maps and you just kind of look and be like, oh, I'm going to go here. I'm going to go there. And over the years, I feel like it's almost become formulaic. Like you can say like, oh, I hike this many miles per day and I can tell you like, oh, then these are the places that you are going to stop to resupply. And, you know, which is like good and bad. Like a place that's become really popular for people to resupply recently is Ridgecrest on the PCT, which is like, I don't think I knew anybody who went to Ridgecrest in 13. I honestly don't know what happened to make it be well known, but things like that have been really just interesting. 
maybe those towns have just like made an effort to promote them. Like on the CDT, they have like gateway communities who mm-hmm. are towns or cities or whatever who make an effort to be welcoming to CDT hikers. The hikers bring business, the hotels, the restaurants, the whatever, especially in the smaller towns. It's been interesting to see like how the trail communities and towns and stuff have responded to like the increasing number of hikers over the years. Good point. I was going to ask on that, like a specific resupply point or a specific trail town that has gone up the last few years, or on the other hand, has actually gone down the last few years, like has lost popularity because of things that have been changing. Yeah, I imagine it will probably be pretty interesting after this year to kind of see like how the fires have affected things. Mm. Um, Because 2019 was like big snow and then 2020 was COVID and then this year's big fires. So it'll be kind of interesting to compare like those three years as far as like what's going on on, or at least on the PCT. But yeah, I mean, the towns are generally pretty consistent. Like people like the same town, but like, like I said, like Ridgecrest on the PCT is a weird one that kind of sticks out in my mind. And then the CDT also, there's so many alternates and stuff. Like I said, it's, it's very rare that you meet somebody on the CDT, especially as like another CDT hacker who has hiked like the same trail as you, like up until the point where you meet them kind of thing. Cause there's just so much variety as far as like where people can hike, which is an interesting thing in the survey as far as like seeing. And sometimes I feel like, do I want to post Like, I don't want to like put it out there and be like, look what everybody else is doing. Like you should all do this too. And like, Because then people, I feel like, just write off, like, whatever the alternative might be. Whereas it's like, people aren't smart. Don't just blindly follow what everybody else is doing. It's not a good suggestion most of the time. Like, yeah, sometimes it'll work out. But, like, as a rule, it shouldn't be your first course of action. (laughs) Good point. See people standing in line. Don't jump in line behind them. Figure out, okay, why are they standing in line? Why is that? Let me do my research. When I lived in Brazil, I remember they one day on TV they had this thing because Brazilian people like as a as a rule like love lines, so you know they just line people up in like a you know the town square or like one of the city centers and people would just get in line and then they'd go and they interview people who got in line and they'd be like what are you in line for, and they'd be like well I don't know just like I saw all these other people in line so I got in line it must be good, <laughs> and it's just like yeah like it's it's wild how people do that. The power of conformity. So actually, that's a good piece of advice. I was going to say for next year's crop, since we're coming to the end of hiking season, people who are doing the PCT or the CDT or any long distance through hike, would you have any specific advice for them about things to be looking for, things to be working on for those hikes? Oh, man, it's kind of just the same thing I tell everybody every year is like, don't worry too much about planning. I have met people who have made like a resupply plan or like a mileage plan, like from the very beginning and have stuck to it. And to me, that's not even like an exception to the rule. It's like a miracle. I can't believe like you managed to do that. People always ask like, oh, what's the best thing I can do to like train? It's like, well, put all the things in your backpack and go do long hikes. Like it's like literally, you know, I meet people on the trail who are like, oh, I'm an ultra runner. And they're like, dying under like the weight of their backpack because they're like oh like walking with a pack on is so much different than like running 100 miles i'm like yeah like i can walk like 50 miles no problem but like if you make me run 50 miles like i will die it's like it's definitely a different thing you know so i can confirm that's extremely accurate yes. yeah yeah very different yeah people are always worried people are always like what's the snow gonna be like nobody knows is the answer what are the fires gonna be like nobody knows like focus on the things that like you can control you know like a lot of people try to like look at other years hikes and be like oh this worked this didn't work it's like you never know what the next year is going to be like so you know focus on 
if you just focus on yourself and getting yourself like mentally, physically, and as like good a shape as possible as you can before starting and then just sorting out like your gear and making sure you're going to be happy with it. And also remember, like I always tell people, all these hikes, all these long distance hikes are really just a series of shorter hikes that you're doing in succession. You're hiking from town A to town B. And when you get to town B, you can literally do anything. You can stop for a week. You can order new gear. You can send gear home. You can have somebody come pick you up. You can leave the trail. It's like you're not out there for five months with no supplies, no nothing. It's just a series of shorter hikes that you're doing between towns that happen to all connect to each other. And just don't worry so much. No. Have you gleaned any insights into why people quit? I think generally, like, Weather is definitely a big one. Injury is a really big one too. Money is a really big one. This is another thing that like kind of ties into the whole trail magic thing from before. A lot of people don't have enough saved uh, to finish a hike. That's a really big reason people get off. Those are honestly the big ones. It's either snow or money or injury. Two of those things you can do a lot to prepare yourself for. You could get injured at any point, but you can you know, train and prepare your body and make sure you, you know, have the right shoes or, you know, right amount of weight. You, you can prepare for that. You can obviously prepare to save more money. You know, snow is going to be an issue depending on the year. I think money is a big one that sneaks up on people that they don't, that they don't realize is going to be as big of an issue as it, as it ends up being. Before I hiked the trail, I was like, oh, that's so cool. I'm going to be out there just like five months in the wilderness, whatever. I'm not going to stay in hotels. I'm not going to hang out in town. And then like, you're out there for like 10 days and it's been raining for five and like all your stuff's like covered in mud and whatever. And I'm definitely going to go stay in a hotel, you know? And so it's like, it adds up, especially over the course of however many months. It's, and I tell people, you know, imagine just being at home for five months like you're gonna have terrible terrible awful days it's not just gonna be a great day every day so it's like when you have those days yeah go get a hotel room go hang out just go relax realize you're not like it's not a race you know you can decompress and figure stuff out do you have any data on how much people spend on average yes and this is also kind of a tricky one i, I ask people how much they spend on uh their gear and then I also ask people how much they spend on the entirety of their hikes. And I feel like this is something I should start breaking down like international versus domestic hikers. Cause I, I've mm. been lumping like kind of everybody in together and I've been asking people including transportation to and from the trail. So I feel like it could be skewed a little bit, but the average amount is like some, you usually between six and $7,000, but that's usually with like a standard deviation of like $3,000. Wow. Which like, you know, if most people don't, you know, if you don't know what standard deviation is, you basically go like one, one standard deviation above and one standard deviation below. So basically between 3000 and like almost $10,000 is the, I think, is it 60% is contained within one standard deviation? I think it is. I don't mm -hmm. know. I could be wrong. The majority of hikers spend somewhere between like three and ten thousand dollars, which like isn't necessarily helpful to everybody. But I think yeah. a lot of people fixate on this, like oh, like six thousand dollars or like one thousand, like one thousand dollars per month. When I first did the PCT, was like the rule that people would say. Like I feel like that's definitely too little now, unless like you truly aren't going to be going into town and like staying in hotels and stuff. But one thousand dollars a month is probably not enough. I'd say $2,000 a month is probably safe. 
it might be too little for some people still. Um, but yeah, it's definitely been increasing over the years. And I don't know if that's because more people are coming internationally or more people are just staying in hotels or more people or stuff's just getting more expensive or I should probably like compare it to inflation. I'll add it to the queue of the many, many things that I need to write still. Deep dive into the 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 cost and the data from people over the years. Yes, yes, please do that. When yeah. you do, we'll we'll uh, we'll promote your article. Okay, no, I mean that's and you know honestly, this isn't something that I've thought of until right now. Like, yeah, this would this could definitely be like a very interesting thing to kind of try to break down more. And sometimes, like I kind of try to shy away too much of being like here's the data like this is what it is because like i said it, it is just you know my best effort trying to collect as much data as i can because every year people get mad at me about like oh like this and that and i'm like i literally say i try to say so many times like i'm just some guy on the internet doing his best i'm not like publishing a paper i'm not doing whatever if, if you don't like the data don't look at the data <laughs> like <laughs> totally this is not going in a peer-reviewed journal you know? yeah right i recently did a rowing school because i'm doing a grand canyon trip and i figured i have to to row oh, and i met this guy sean who's like a professor uh up in oregon he, he like knew or was familiar with the surveys and i was like oh cool and he was like yeah like have you ever thought about like getting published or like writing for like an academic journal. And I'm like, I don't know if I qualify for that. He's like, maybe. And I was like, I don't know. Okay, maybe I'll look into it. I think the solution is you would need to get in with the PCTA. The, the PCTA has been resistant to my calls to send the survey out to the people who have permits, which would be so hugely helpful. Interesting. Yeah. Why, why is that? I don't know. I even donated many, many numbers of dollars of money to them a couple of years ago in hopes that it would kind of <laughs> help the process along, but it didn't. The CDTC is actually much more approachable than the PCTA. Even though the PCTA is in Sacramento, I could just go probably knock on their, their door and talk to them up here. But the problem, quote unquote, with the CDTC is that there's no permit for the CDT. So they don't necessarily have everyone's like email to send out the survey to, you know, whereas the PCTA definitely does have everybody's email. I think the CDTC would definitely send it out if they had <laughs> all the hikers' emails, but they don't. Maybe the solution <laughs> is one of these years you just need to stand at the terminus of one trail and have someone else stand at the terminus on the other side, and you just literally collect people's emails. Yeah. Well, actually, what I started doing this year is contacting some of like the pinch points uh, on the trail, like in the southern sections, uh, where kind of like all the hikers go. And being like, hey, can I send you these sheets for hikers to fill out and sign up for the survey? And like a lot of them have, you know, been responsive and said yes. And so I've I've been collect collecting more uh, you know, hiker emails that way to try to get the survey out to them. And the fact that it's kind of at the beginning of the trail is nice because then you know you catch those people who might get off the trail after a certain, you know, number of miles or whatever. So I'm always looking for new and creative ways to try to figure out how to get the survey in front of as many people as possible. It's really impressive. My proverbial hat goes off to you since I'm the only person not wearing a hat in this. <laughs> I wasn't going to say anything. We need to ask you the elephant in the room question here, which oh. is you do the survey for the PCT, you do the survey for the CDT, you've hiked the PCT, you've hiked the CDT. Why no AT? It just really doesn't sound like a, a fun investment of my time. There's just so many other things that I would rather go and hike than the AT. People who are like 
maybe haven't through hiked themselves, but people who are like familiar with through hiking and like the three big trails are all like all somehow know about like, oh, Triple Crown. And I meet people regularly who are like, oh, are you a Triple Crowner? And I'm like, no, <laughs> I don't care about being a Triple Crowner. And they're like, oh, why aren't you going to hike the AT? And I'm like, because I don't want to hike the AT. And then people are like, oh, this guy must not really hike if he's not a Triple Crowner. I'm like, yeah, but like I do all these other things like nobody's heard about or like nobody really does, like all these other hikes. I always tell people if I was going to hike the AT, it would be like a late season southbound hike. Like, and I would just try to go as fast as I could. You need to talk to Shanty here. Shanty. I was going to say in lieu of a debate, Mac, that's the only argument I would say for you with the AT. Because on your website, you said the green tunnel, the humidity, the rain, the towns, the crowds, the shelters. You can eliminate 80% of that by going southbound on the AT, in my personal opinion. You just have to be willing to put up with the suck between Katahdin and, and like central Vermont. Because that's what I did. Like, I lost the green tunnel by the time I got to New York, because by then all the leaves had fallen and it was the stick tunnel at that point. So you at least had somewhat of a view. The humidity was mostly gone because it was cold. The rain was, well, the rain's the rain. And yes, there were a lot of nights where I was the only person at a campsite. It was like either me or my trail family. You'd see maybe three or four people the whole day. It was so weird from like, really, it was New Jersey southward that it felt like you had the trail to yourself. So I won't debate. I'll just say in lieu, if you ever decide you want to do the AT and it wants to meet your style, I would highly recommend a late season. I just love the mountains, like real big mountains, you know, like after moving out to Utah, after living in Pennsylvania for so long and hiking the AT, like, yeah, I see these mountains and it's just, Oh yes, this is awesome out here. Yeah. I mean, I, I tell people, I'm like they're like the east coast has mountains i'm like no it does it has <laughs> like, rounded not mounds i met this girl the other day who she was from vermont because she knew all about darn tough and she and that was like what saved me like and we were friends again because i knew a vermont thing but she oh, was like socks. darn tough socks yeah 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 the socks and she was like oh like the east coast has mountains and i'm like how long have you lived out here for she's like oh i just moved to here like whatever and i was like have you been to the mountains she's like oh like no and i'm like okay well okay I live, in, I live in boulder colorado i spend a lot of time in the rockies they're great the mountains are actually harder in new hampshire I, overall i would say sure you can find some obviously extremely technical mountains out west but if you're just going on your standard hike aka hiking the at you're using your hands it's super rocky it's extremely steep it's much slower going it's honestly a far more engaging experience than being on the colorado trail or the pct obviously the mountains are smaller and you don't get that same awe-inspiring the mountains lifting nowhere from the landscape but the trails themselves are extremely engaging. I mean, yeah. yeah, that's. I don't know if that's a. I don't know if that's a point for or against. Like that's. I know. It's totally. it's, it's it's a thing. Like, <laughs> it's a fact of the trail. I'm like, yeah, okay, like that's that's cool. I guess. Mac, maybe the one thing I could challenge you to do at some point, if you've ever done it, is do a hike in the whites or climb Katahdin, and that'll at least give you a taste of like the best the east can offer i did mount monadnock when i was in new hampshire is that is are that you a... kidding me i live 
quarter mile from Mount Mananoc. This is my home mountain. Oh my gosh. We've never talked about Mount Mananoc on this podcast. So we just have to really quickly for people who have not heard of it. It's Wait. the third most climb mountain in the world. <laughs> I have a friend from from Massachusetts who says it's the second most climb mountain in the world behind Fuji. And I'm like, why Fuji. does why do <laughs> And then a mountain in China, I'm pretty sure. But when I was little, the lore was that it was the most climb mountain in the world. It's funny because it's not that big. It's like a 2000 foot climb, but you can see all six states from the summit. It's super beautiful. You've gotten I a small taste. I still find that hard to believe that it's one of the most climb mountains in the world. I feel like that's definitely like an urban legend. Like I would, I would it would be awesome if it was true, but like intuitively, I'm like, how can that possibly be true? I'm on the Wikipedia page from Anadnock right now. It says 125,000 people climb the mountain every year, making it one of the most climbed mountains in the world. Interesting. Okay. Fun nice. stuff. Yeah. Interesting. <laughs> I can't express to you how excited I am that this came up on the podcast. <laughs> so that's our pitch. So they- that's our pitch for these. So. <laughs> All right. Well, like I said, originally, my my original plan was to hike the AT. And, you know, who knows what would have happened if I hadn't come across the PCT when I was when I was researching it. One more question. I'm assuming Mac is your trail name. Yeah, it's are you going to ask me how I got my trail name? I don't know if it's because I don't like my own origin story. I just don't care how people got their trail names. I like trail names. They make it so much easier to remember people. Mine was because when I hiked the PCT in 13, like I said before, I met hardly anybody in the desert. But a lot of people who I met, most people maybe, at some point while hiking together, they'd be like, you know who you look like? That guy Mac from It's Always Sunny in Philadelphia. And I'd be like, <laughs> what? No, I don't. And like, so, you know, I didn't have a trail name. I didn't have a trail name. And then I was like hiking up to Kennedy Meadows, like, or like in the last like 50 miles. So approaching the 700 mile mark. And I still didn't have a trail name. And I was like, all right, like, if like one more person tells me I look like Mac from It's Always Sunny, I'm just going to start going by Mac because I'm sick of going by my my name. And then like two more people are like, you know who you look like? And I'm like, yes, I know who I look like. So then I just started going by Mac and then that was my trail name. And now it kind of worked out because, you know, since I have, you know, this website and like presence and stuff, it's it's not like a super weird thing to go by. It's It's more, it's almost become more like a nickname than a trail name, like, you know, my two best friends from the PCT who did the CDT with me are named Appa and Moist. And I was like, oh, man, no. I th- I was like, I think Moist is an awesome trail name. It's like one of my favorite trail names, but like, I don't know if I would just go by it in like a more professional setting. It, it worked out ultimately, <laughs> I think. It is true. I just Googled this character and you, you do look a lot. Okay. <laughs> I mean, like... <laughs> Personally, I just don't see it. It must be true in a certain sense because like people tell me like independently of one another all the time. But I'm like, yeah, we're both white guys with beards and like stubble. I don't know. Like me and Shanty could look the same. That's fair. I I understand that. Right? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I got more wrinkles. Yeah. You're Mac from Always Sunny. So, <laughs> I mean, sorry. cool. cool. You I'm can't hide what you stuff. are inside. Well, Mac, thank was... you so much for sharing all this with us. Thank you so much for the work you do on the surveys and glad to... Uh, we had you here today. Yeah, this is the first time I've actually been on a podcast and talked about the surveys, which you know I think is probably the most interesting thing about my website. <laughs> I think we should make this an annual thing because I'd love to explore nuances throughout the years. I'm sure that it's just going to continue to evolve so much. I love talking about all this kind of stuff, especially hiking survey data. And you know, like I said, they're always looking for new ways to improve it, which I think you know 
that that money article, I think, is definitely one that I'm going to have to write now. So, yes. So thank you for that. Perfect. Thank you. Thank you so much, Mac. Yeah, thank you guys. was no butt kicking today and it was really nice to actually get a chance to talk with mac really nice guy with a great blog and a great story thanks for joining us on the show mac thanks also for what you do with the pct and cdt surveys and we wish you the best of luck on your next adventures make sure that you swing on over to halfwayanywhere.com to check out mac's blog and backpacking reports now if you're considering hiking any parts of the cdt or pct or even doing a full through hike of either of those trails you're definitely going to want to head on over to Halfway Anywhere to check out his gear and resupply guides. And of course, if you ever do a through hike, make sure that you fill out his survey in the process. Mac is also on Instagram, Facebook, Patreon, Pinterest, Twitter, and YouTube. You can find any one of them by heading on over there and just typing in Halfway Anywhere. And as always, we'll leave links to all of these places in our show notes. Make sure to give us a follow on our Instagram page at Out and Back Podcast. If you like today's show, please make sure to give us a five-star review on Apple Podcasts. And finally, don't forget, before you head out into the wilderness, make sure to snag yourself a Gaia GPS premium membership at a 20% discount by going to GaiaGPS.com slash podcast. Until next time, happy fall, everyone, and happy trails. We'll see you next time. Bye-bye.